illegal participation on the defense. 15-yard penalty from the previous spot remains first down. This had better be a big play after all of that. Second down at eight, four and a half to go in the half, six nothing Beavers. Jonathan from the right hash from the zone 25, goes back to throw, and throws the out, and it's caught, and it's going to be a big play! Chad Johnson down the left sideline, nobody will catch Chad, and it's a touchdown 75 yards for the Beavers! This is the moment, and right here we'll tell perhaps all about that. Third and one and a half in the right hash. Simon's in the handoff, can't cut to the left, first down and more, 30, 25, 20, Simonton on his way, 10, into the end zone, touchdown Beavers, and the streak is going to end here tonight. The snap on target to Nick. he gets a much better punt away here, Sammy Strotter back to his 30 yard line, starts up the middle, gets to the 40, he's got a seam, 45 midfield, 45, 40, he's got a chance to go, 20, 15, 10, 5, Welcome to Illegal Participation, the official podcast of the Heiner Tailgate. Recording this while firmly ensconced at the Heiner Tailgater headquarters, I'm your host and the big bald guy behind the grill, Bill Heine Heineck. Joining me, as always, from Twin Pines Vineyards and Airbnb, the director of thermodynamic lipid immersion, my co-host and brother, the Beege. Hey, Billy, how you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. It's a good weekend. It was a good weekend. Yeah. Not not a perfect weekend. I was but just going to say weekend. that. That good weekend, not perfect, but good. Pretty damn good when you, so, when it all comes right down to it. So. Did yeah. uh, did you know I, I got to sample my, uh, my first batch of wine today from I, my vineyard? I saw that. How was it? Uh, so... Um, I don't really care for wine. Yes. At all. Yes. Like not at all. Yes. <laughs> and so um, the the gentleman I'm working with, he owns uh, Fox Farm Vineyard, which is just about a half mile down the street from me, and he has a tasting room off of 99 in downtown Dundee. If you call downtown Dundee a downtown, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a wide spot in the road. But um, so he, uh, I sold him my grapes. I had a very very small crop this year but bigger crop than last year since last year i had no crop so i think it was about 600 pounds okay um which is is crap uh my once my vineyard becomes more mature i should hopefully be doing about three to four ton oh wow cool so to give you an idea so they they were very light but um but uh, he he got an early sampling. It's just early on in the fermentation process. They would still like put it in barrels and age it in it. But um, but yeah, so he gave me a sample of one of his uh, own uh, bottles that he does, and then uh, a small sample of mine. And since I am not, I'm far from a wine connoisseur. I sampled his first, and I couldn't stand it. And then I sampled mine, and I couldn't stand it. So that being said, if his is good, then mine's probably fantastic. 
Was he happy with it? He no. So he was going to sample it tonight with his wife. Oh, right. On. Um, yeah. So I he just gave me a small sampling to try it out, and uh, he said though he liked the aroma. He said it smelled good compared to to his. Um, mine, I could definitely tell his was a little bit smoother, and I, I'll sound very smart here. Had a little bit more of an oaky flavor to it um, because ultimately it was aged in barrels and mine has not been aged yet. Yeah, because you're going to pick the tannins but, up out of the wood. Correct, correct. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what's really interesting is like last year, the not many people made much uh, Pinot Noir because the, the smoke damage, because that'll go right into the uh, grapes, the skins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and contaminate it. So they actually de-skin the grapes sometimes and they can salvage it. Oh, wow. I think he said they make rosés. You know, the, the science behind wine is quite amazing. Yeah. So something I don't have the time to invest my, my efforts in, but uh, I appreciate anybody who has a passion in life. And David with uh, Fox Farm Winery or uh, Vineyard, he has a passion for this. I That's mean, cool. He, he loves wine. So that's a cool thing. Anybody who finds their passion in life and, and enjoys what they, they do, uh, that that's that's a great life. Yeah. So anyway, so there you go. I, I uh, Hopefully, uh, maybe next year, he said might even have my own label, but this year, uh, he'll be blending my grapes with another small vineyard grapes uh, to try to come up with a, a nice, flavorful wine. Oh, he cool. said it's like mixing two bottles. He says it's like mixing two bottles of ketchup. So hopefully Something both else I don't are good like. and yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so yep. So there's my story again. I did my little wine tasting this morning, and then I had to work for a while, and then uh, lost power uh, down in Woodburn. And I don't know if we lost much power up at Dundee, but kind of a windstorm came through here. Yeah, it's been. We didn't get anything in Dallas, but I know it hit around different places. Yeah, and I mean, whole West Coast getting hit because I guess California's got torrential rainstorms going on this. Yeah, weekend. it's kind of weird. Yeah. Kind of weird. So, dry, dry summer. And now we got a wet fall. Yeah, well, it's supposed to be La Nina this year, which means we get dumped on. Yeah. Yep. All Speaking right. of fall, Billy, how you how you doing? After my fall, doing a lot better. Still a little sore, having trouble sleeping, but I'm I'm back to probably about eighty five percent. Good. Good. Yeah. So I was pretty good at the tailgater on Saturday. Yeah. So I could move and pick stuff up, so it was too bad. Well, the purpose of illegal participation is for us to talk beaver sports, tailgating, and anything else we find interesting and fun every week. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, any other podcatcher. Get in touch with us, HeinrichTailgator at gmail.com, at HeinrichTailgator on Twitter, or HeinrichTailgator on Facebook. All right, Beach, uh, let's talk a little bit of beaver sports. We'll start it with some women's volleyball. Oh, Billy, give me good news. Just a little bit of good news for the volleyball team. Um, they traveled down to L.A. this last weekend. Mm-hmm. And they battled back to force. Is that, is that, about, as, is, is that about as good as it got? Well, they battled back to force four sets at USC. But, but ultimately fell to the Trojans. Uh, normally, I like when a girl falls to the Trojans. Yep. Then on uh, Sunday afternoon, Beach, at Poly Pavilion, on the campus of UCLA, mm-hmm. the Oregon State volleyball team was taken down in straight sets by number 17, UCLA. That drops the Beavs' record to 3-17 and overall, 1-9 and in conference. And the Beavs will return to their home court this next weekend, hosting Colorado on Friday at 7, 
before welcoming Utah on Sunday the 31st uh, with a first serve started at 11 a.m. inside Gill. Let's just be disappointing going out and getting your ass kicked every week. It, well, we've seen it go through the football team. It's not fun. It's hard. It's hard to keep motivated. No. Yeah. So. All right, Beach, let's move well, on to a little bit of women's soccer. Ah, uh, soccer. Okay, let me reach down between my legs, ease the seat back. Okay, I'm ready. The Oregon State women's soccer team went to Salt Lake City to take on the Utes on Thursday. And they fell 2-1. to And they fell 2-1. No. God dang it. Then on Sunday at Boulder, the Oregon State women's soccer team capped their last regular season road stretch. But they fell 3-2 to to the Buffs in overtime. They're now 11-5 on the season, 3-5 in the Pac-12. Hmm. They'll return to Lorenz Field in Corvallis this week to host Washington on the 28th and Washington State on the 31st. Both of those games are slated for noon kickoffs and will be broadcast on the Pac-12 networks. Thursday's match will be the Beavers' annual Damn Cancer Match, presented by Willamette Valley Cancer Institute. And Sunday's match is the Beavers' annual Damn Change Match. Next up, Beach is men's soccer. Okay, Billy, what's going on with the men's soccer? Well, Beej, uh, the Beavs only played one game this last week. And? And they played number one ranked Washington in Seattle. Ooh. And? Well, Beej, the number eight Oregon State men's soccer team edged past the Huskies 3-2 to two in Seattle. <laughs> With the, vic- nice. with the victory, the Beavs claim the top spot in the conference standings and improved to 9-1-2 and overall, 4-0-1 in the Pac-12 this season. Oregon State has now notched three wins against opponents ranked in the United Soccer Coaches Top 25 this season. Um, number 23 on UCLA on September 30th, number 13 San Diego State on October 3rd, and number one Washington just this last weekend. All conference games too, Beach, those are good. It's also the Bees' first outright win against a number one ranked team after marking ties with number one Indiana in 2005 and number one Washington in 2014. I only have three words to say to that. Suck it, bitches. <laughs> Well, Beach, the Beavs return to Corvallis to host Stanford on the 28th this week and Cal on the 31st. Both matches are slated for 3 p.m. starts and will be broadcast on the Pac-12 networks. Fantastic. Yeah. I forget. We're almost to Halloween. It's next. It's a week from today. Yeah. You have your candy Crazy. Um, You know, my, you know, I'm out here in the rural areas. <laughs> say, do you even get any? And... Do you even get any? Uh... People well, out there? well, my my neighbors my neighbors across the street used to have three kids, but they fled to Idaho, and I haven't met my new neighbors. They've lived there like two months, but I don't even know who they are. Yeah. So I don't know if they have any kids or not. So yeah, um, yeah I I don't know if I'll yeah don't not not quite sure what what what'll be happening on Halloween. You can just go to Dollar so, Tree and buy a couple dollar candy bars, keep them on the counter. Yeah, it might be just just a safe one, yeah. But yeah. maybe probably like six. Six yeah. is probably safe. Just buy six things that you like. Yes. So that I like way, hundred grands. What's your favorite? My favorite candy bar. You know, we were just talking about this. You know who else is a hundred grand favorite? Who? Gunner. Really? Yeah, he's a hundred grand favorite. 
Well, I, I kind of like Rice Krispies in things. Yeah. Uh, gun, guns, a hundred grand favorite. It's interesting because you're a, um, you're not a big chocolate fan, but you like that one. No, I, and actually, I don't eat. I haven't eaten a candy bar in years, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But if I had to pick, if you said Brian, which one would you want, or me, which one you want, it'd probably be a hundred grand. Um, you know, I don't mind like a Butterfinger chewed up in a in a McFlurry or mm-hmm. in a in a. Uh, you just don't like the chocolate being the leading thing. No. Nah, you don't no, mind not, a little bit some... of chocolate. Yeah, like I mean, I don't mind a good Rolo once in a while, but yeah. again, just I have I just don't eat candy bars much anymore. Yeah, if I had so. to pick one candy bar to eat, it would probably be a Reese's peanut butter cup. I I, I do like a, a Reese's peanut butter cup. It's, yeah. That's pretty good. Yep. So, all right, Beach. Uh, last bit of sports news this week for the Beavs. Uh, a little bit of women's basketball news. Uh, the Oregon State mm-hmm. women's basketball team will enter the 2021-22 season. That sounds funny. 2021-22. Season ranked number 14 in the AP preseason poll. The ranking marks the eighth straight season. The Beavs have been recognized in the AP preseason poll and the fourth time they've started the year in the top 15. The Beavs returned three starters from last year's squad, including Pac-12 selections Taylor Jones, three-year starter Taya Corsdale, and graduate transfer Ellie Mack. The Beavs also look forward to the growth of freshman Talia Von Olhofen, who made an impact on the squad after joining the team mid-season. So she hey, came in um, mid-season. She actually graduated high school early and joined the team mid-season. So she got to play, but that doesn't count against her eligibility. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hey, um, so were there any other uh, were there any other uh, Pac-12 teams that were ranked? Oh, I'm sure. I don't have that information in front of me, but I'm sure. Okay, okay. I would figure uh, Oregon, Pac- Arizona, Stanford. I think the Bees were picked to finish fourth or fifth. Here, hold on. Okay, here. so the so the Pac-12 really dominates on the on the female side of the basketball sport. I'm gonna look here at the rankings. Oh yeah, so here is the rankings: South Carolina one, UConn two, Stanford three, Iowa or uh, Oregon ten, Oregon State fourteen. UCLA 20, Arizona 22. So that's, uh, what is that, 4 5? Stanford, Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA, Arizona, or, uh, Arizona. That's 5. Washington State got a vote. So they got nine, nine votes. So. Are they going to be able to keep their. Their their coach on that team. Or did, we'll, have to, did, uh, we'll have to talk about that yeah. when we get there. So, uh, <laughs> the women are slated to open the 2021-22 season on November 6th at home in an exhibition game against Western Washington, and then they open the regular season on the 12th when Loyola Marymount visits Gill. Hmm. Okay. Hey Billy. Yes, B. Hey, did you hear that? I do hear it this time. Well, hold on here, hold on. Billy. Yes, B. This just in. University of Oregon announces new indoor practice facility exclusively for football to replace the Mishofsky Center near Autzen Stadium. Compensating for a large number of extremely small penises, UFO unveiled plans for a new 170,000 square foot facility between Leo Harris Parkway and Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, where the current outdoor football practice fields are. 
Current plans call for a 130,000 square foot practice field and 40,000 square foot connector between the field and the Hatfield-Dolan complex to be built by 2024. The connector will include an expanded weight room and player's lounge, probably with tons of hookers and blow, and outdoor terrace for team use and events. The new facility will create additional access to the Mashofsky Center for Oregon's other sports teams. In other words, the other teams get the football's team's leavens and can share the 23-year-old facility. The core of our mission here at Oregon is to provide an exceptional student-athlete experience and the best possible opportunity to maximize their potential. Oregon Athletic Director Rob Mullins said in a statement, which is code for that we are going to milk these bitches for all they're worth. The cost of the new indoor practice facility is not specified and will be funded entirely with private philanthropy and will be managed through the UFO Foundation per a release. This is most likely being done to entice the new semi-pro Oregon athletes managed under Phil Knight's new Division Street initiative. The exterior shell will be made from Northwest Timber in the form of the Oregon O, with the center of the roof made of tinted polymer panels supported by a steel cable system, which allows natural light to reach the field without glare while insulating against heat. Per release, a ventilation system will be available for use to mitigate air quality issues from wildfires, though the new facility will largely rely on natural ventilation and daylight and be powered with the renewable energy generated on site. Our world-class labs, classrooms, residence halls, as we've talked before, and athletic facilities fuel an undeniable passion and inspire excellence in students, faculty, staff, and alumni, UFO President Michael Schill said in a release. This new facility will ensure that our student-athletes can continue to push themselves without limits and compete on a global scale. What he did not say is the cost of tuition will continue to climb much higher than the potential wages of the desired degrees of students, so they can transfer much of the debt of these gifts to the architecture god onto the backs of their future alumni under the guise of government-backed student loans that have no safeguards preventing students from taking out loans far in excess of what they can pay back over their lifetimes. And this has been your Heinrich Tailgater update from Eugene. Isn't that the truth? I, you know, I, I think I, I showed you the picture of that thing. It's gross. It's gross, right? I mean, there's a certain point where it just gets to be so much. It's gross. You, you know, I understand having pride in your facilities. Oh, yeah. And, and they're being real nice. Uh, and I, I mean, so, like, I have a very nice house, and I like to take care of it, and I, I keep the place trimmed and cleaned and, and, and presentable to the public, right? Mm-hmm. And... You know, there's a lot of things that I would love to build on my little two and a half acres, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, roller coaster for one thing and other stuff. But, you know, I have to live within a budget. I try to keep value oriented. And when you're servicing the public the way a university is supposed to, especially with government funds that, that get diverted from our tax dollars to offset the cost of of, of upper education. Mm-hmm there should be some controls. And I know they said that this is going to be paid for through philanthropy and donations and stuff. There's still legacy costs associated with these things. I mean, you can build the building and, but, and again, maybe this ventilation and heating system is going to be fine, but it still costs money to turn the lights on. It still costs money to, to clean, clean the inside and keep it prepped and painted. It still costs money to maintain the outside long after the building has been built. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It just, I just, it, it 
makes me want to throw up a little bit when I think I just, about this yeah, stuff. I because just, again, it, I, I have no problem when it's done with a private company. But you know, I'll tell you, if you look at the history of private companies, whenever they build gifts to the architecture god, whenever they build big corporate offices, uh, other than maybe Apple building that infinite loop, almost every corporation that builds gifts to the architecture gods has a massive collapse within 10 years after they build it. You know, when when Disney built their Team Disney building in, in uh, California, it the, Disney tanked for 10 years after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Levi's built a big corporate office, a big massive gift to the architecture god, they tanked. And that was all after their, their big – I mean, they make all this money and then they blow it all because, by God, we need it. And then the shareholders lose out. And who's the shareholders of, of the universities? It's us. Yeah. It's taxpayers. Yeah. Yeah, we're the ones that flip in the bill. I don't care how much is donated. Again, the the overall cost of operating it is based <clears> on <throat> your square footage. You know, how much buildings do you have? Do you really need it? Yep. Anyway, yep. yeah. I mean, because I, I know I always look at research stadium, you know, and you think, how often does this thing really get used to justify its expense? You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, well, you know, the grad, graduation's there and they have band days there and some other stuff. But really, for the 365 days out of the year, how many days is that, or is that facility actually used? Yeah, truly. A handful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A handful. So, again, not not that I don't mind it, but, again, you have to manage your costs. Mm-hmm. All right, Beach. Well, are you ready to go under further review for week number eight in the Pac-12? After further review, the runner did cross the line. The Touchdown. Oh, I'm stoked. How'd I do, Billy? Oh, well, we did okay. Um, okay, I got, I got, to, I got to grab my report here. I've, I've got, I've got all our picks here from last week for you, me, and Kyle. I hate you, okay. Kyle. But uh, yeah, we did okay. Heading into the week, you were in the lead at 35 out of 45. I was at 28 out of 45, and Kyle, I hate you, sucking, Kyle. Sucking the hind tit, isn't was he? at 25 out of 45. All right. So first up, we had one game on the 22nd, Friday. Washington at Arizona. And because Arizona sucks, we all picked the Huskies. Yes, we did. Well, Beach, Dylan Morris threw two second-half touchdown passes, and Washington extended the nation's longest win streak to 19 with a 21-16 win over Arizona on Friday night. Now, Washington stumbled through the first half and was down 9 headed into the fourth quarter. But then 300-pound defensive lineman Tule Letagazanoa stopped Arizona's bid to pad its lead with an interception on an attempted screen pass. And then quarterback Morris took it from there, hitting Terrell Bynum on two long passes to set up two scores. Now, Arizona seemed to be on its way to ending its school record losing streak, taking a 16-7 lead into the fourth quarter before imploding. The The Wildcats were hit with key penalties, Will Plummer, the quarterback, threw the big interception, and the defense buckled after dominating the first half, leaving them winless since December of 2019. Mm. Yep. Yeah, but they, they they don't even come close to Oregon State's record. So I don't know. Actually, what or- no, ours, ours, wasn't, ours wasn't winless, though. We just had losing seasons. Yeah, but I don't know if uh, the Beavers have never gone 0-12. We've always gotten we got- one win. Yeah. Um, there might have been one year they were like 0-10 or 0-11. 
but they've never mm-hmm. been 0 and 12. Only one team in the pack has ever gone 0 and 12. Any guess on who that might be? The Ducks? No. Who? Washington. Really? Yep. How long ago? It was a few years ago. 2008. Or Washington went winless in 2008? 0-12, 0-9 in the Pac-12 under head coach Tyrone Willingham. How long was he coach? Uh, I believe that was his last year. <laughs> was his Willing, year Willingham too? had had pretty good success at Stanford. Um, he then went to, uh, let's see, he was at Stanford from 95 to 2001. And then he was hired at Notre Dame for a couple years and never really fit in, didn't do well there. And then he came back and coached at Washington for four, for four years. And that last year they went 0-12. I don't remember Washington being bad in ever in the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, they, were bad. they were bad. Oh, wow. Yeah, they weren't good. Okay, so we all got a point there. Yep, all got a win there. All right, Beach. up next on the rest of the games, we're on Saturday the 23rd. First up, we had Oregon at UCLA. Oh, and Kyle and I... We took Ukla because we thought Bitch Tits was going to pull it out. You, on the other hand, you took the Ducks. Yep. Oregon quarterback Anthony Brown had a season-high 381 yards of offense, and Travis Dye became the first player in football bowl subdivision history to score touchdowns on four consecutive carries as the Ducks held on to a 34-31 victory over UCLA on Saturday. Of Oregon's six wins, four on this season are by seven points or less. Now, it appeared like that wasn't going to be the case early in the fourth quarter when Brown's 43-yard TD run on a quarterback draw extended its lead to 34-17 before the Bruins rallied. Now, Dye, who finished with 35 uh, 35 yards on 14 carries, also became the seventh running back since 2000 with at least four rushing touchdowns in a game. Before Dye's record day, six players shared the mark with TDs on three consecutive carries. Now, Oregon fell behind 14 to nothing during the first quarter before scoring on five of its next six drives. UCLA quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson's two-yard keeper early in the fourth quarter got UCLA within 34-24. to 24. After Jordan Jenmark Heath's interception on Oregon's ensuing position, Britton Brown scored at the middle from a yard out. Now, UCLA had a chance to at least tie and send it to overtime after Jay Shaw picked off Anthony Brown's pass in the end zone with three minutes remaining. The Bruins drove to the Oregon 39, but Ethan Garbers, who came in when Thompson Robinson was injured earlier in the drive, had a pass intercepted by DJ James with 48 seconds remaining to preserve the win. That was just disappointing. I was really, really hoping that they would take it into overtime. Yep. Yep. It, was, it was a great, you know, it was funny because they were down by quite a bit. And then all of a sudden UCLA comes back within three. Yeah. And you're like, holy crap. Yeah, it surprised within, me. Yeah. Within reach. Yeah, it surprised me because we were kind of listening to it. Yeah. We had it out there at the tailgate. Yeah. So. so. Alrighty, Beach. Up next, Colorado at Cal. Um, You took Colorado and Kyle and I took Cal. I took Colorado I took after Cal. changing, I believe, too. Uh, no, you 
you changed on uh, BYU and Wazoo. Okay. Well, here on my list, I had written Cal, and then I wrote Colk, C-O-L, over the top of it. So before I'd said anything, then I was choosing Cal, but then I changed my mind. Okay. Will Beach, Cal quarterback Chase Garbers passed for two touchdowns and broke the school record for career rushing yards by a quarterback, leading Cal past Colorado 26-3 to on Saturday. Garbers completed 22 of 29 passes for 225 yards, but did his most damage on the ground, rushing for 96 yards on 10 carries. That also moved Garbers past Joe Cap as Cal's all-time leader for quarterbacks with 1,025 yards rushing. Now, Cap ran for 931 from 1956 to 1958. Uh, Cal's kicker, Dario Leggetto, made a career-best four field goals, including a 50-yarder as time expired in the first half. Now, the Bears' defense added six sacks and held the Buffaloes to a measly 104 yards of offense. Colorado wow. failed to get in the end zone and was limited to a 33-yard field goal by Cole Becker. They shut him down. Yeah, but it was still kind of a pathetic game. They had 26 points, but 12 of them were off field goals. Hey, so, a field goal is still a score. Yep, just not a lot of points getting scored there. So you two picked up the win there. Next up, BYU at Washington State. The the Cougs versus the Cougs. Yep. And Kyle picked the uh, the Mormon Cougs, and you and I picked the uh, the apparently the Heathen Cougs. Yep. Well, Beach Tyler Algier ran for 191 yards and two touchdowns, and BYU beat Washington State 21 to 19 on Saturday in Washington State's first game since head coach Nick Rolovich was fired for refusing to get a COVID-19 vaccination. Now, Rolovich and four assistants were fired on Monday for not complying with the governor's mandate that all state employees be vaccinated against the coronavirus. Rolovich had requested a religious exemption that was denied Monday, the state's vaccination deadline. He was replaced for the remainder of the season by Jake Dickert, the defensive coordinator who is elevated to acting head coach. Now, Washington State was undone by several offensive holding penalties that wiped out good gains and two failed conversion attempts after touchdowns. Washington State running back Max Borgie scored three touchdowns for Washington State, which saw his three-game winning streak end. Jaron Hall threw for 143 yards for BYU, which fell out of the top 25 this week after losing two straight games. Hmm. So, yep, first game without uh, Rolovich there, and they didn't put up a lot of points. That's going to be hard to recover. I mean, they lost five coaches. Yeah, well, I guess they said this. The students really liked him. The players seem to really like him too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying, the players. Yeah. So, yeah, I just don't get why they – I don't know. I I have issues with that. Yeah. I mean, if if the if if this if the the players liked him, he was doing well, and he wasn't doing anything against the the university's rules. But the state comes in and says, "Nope, you do where you're done." It's a shame. Yep. So he's right. uh, he's he's su- he's suing the university, isn't he? Oh yeah. Yeah, we'll see how that turns out. Because you and I weren't sure if he was going to get a percentage of his contract. And it and, looks like uh, they fired uh, him with cause. So yeah, he's, so he's vo- not completely entitled. Avoided. Yep, they, they're saying it voids it. Yeah. 
but we'll, but we'll, we'll. I doubt if there's anything in his contract that said he was going to be mandated to take a vaccine. I'm just, I'm just guessing, well, but. Yeah. I mean, it's saying you have to comply by all university rules. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. So if the university told you to jump off a cliff, does that mean he has to comply? I guess if that was a rule. All right, Beach, next up, USC at Notre Dame. Well, we all picked uh, the team with the touchdown Jesus. Correct. Notre Dame running back Kyron Williams and number 13 Notre Dame withstood Southern California's fourth quarter rally for a 31-16 victory Friday evening or Saturday evening. USC junior quarterback Keaton Slovis and six foot five junior wide receiver Drake London kept interim coach Dante Williams Trojans in it. Slovis connected on 27 of 37 passes for 299 yards. 15 of those completions went to London for 171 yards, pushing him to 1,003 yards this season on 79 receptions. Now the Trojans outgained the Irish 424 yards to 383, but Slovis did not throw a touchdown pass, was intercepted once was sacked three times and fumbled after the last sack. Wow. Yeah. They just don't look great. I still think they've got a lot of talent. They just don't have the coaching. Even less now. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and and didn't you say Ogeron got, uh, their former coach got let go or essentially he's going to be let go of LSU at the end of the season. Correct. correct. Yeah. They basically already um, worked out a settlement. So this will be his last season. And there's, there's drama there. Wasn't it? It wasn't just, there his... was some off season stuff or off field stuff that went on with sexual assaults and possibly covering it up. It's the reason why um, Oregon state's previous I think his name was King Alexander. Athletic director? Yeah, King Alexander, who was Oregon State's previous president, had actually been at LSU and was possibly maybe involved in a cover-up if there was one. And some of this stuff goes back to Les Miles. A lot of it goes back to Les Miles, who was the coach before Ogeron. Okay. But Ogeron might have been in it too, but King Alexander mm-hmm. was the president of the of the university at the time, and he came up okay. here to Oregon State, and he's resigned his office up at Oregon State because of it, because of what he possibly might have been involved in. So, yeah, wow. it's, it's a big mess. Pretty so, dirty. Yeah, it is. I feel bad for Ogeron because, you know, he just won the national championship two years ago. And now he's done. Mm-hmm. So, think, but, think anybody will hire him again, or do you think he's I done? I don't know. He, he's getting up there in age. I don't know how old he is. So he gets make he makes eight point seven million a year. So, so it's not like he really needs the job. Yep, he's sixty. Okay. Been coaching since yeah, even without even even though he's a couple of years away from social security. Hopefully, he's got enough on the side that he can he can pull that. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. All right, beats the last game of the week. Oh, well, let's finish it up there. So, because we don't pick the Oregon State game. So, Kyle went four and five on the week. You and I went three and five on the week. Yeah, so we So, good suck. job, Kyle. Sunshine, sun shines on a dog's butt every once in a while. Yes, so, it does. So, Kyle moved up to 29 out of 50. 
You are at 30 out of 50, and I am at 31 out of 50. So there we go. All right. The last game we need to talk about, Beach, is Utah at Oregon State. How'd that one turn out, Billy? Well, Beach, Luke Musgrave blocked a punt and returned it for a touchdown. B.J. Baylor rushed for 100 yards and a score, and Oregon State rallied from an early deficit to defeat Utah 42-34 on Saturday evening. Now, the Beavs, who trailed 24-14 at the half, scored touchdowns on their first three possessions of the second half to take control. Oregon State, the conference leader in rushing yards per game, rushed for 260 yards with Baylor. Oregon State, the conference leader in rushing yards per game, went for 260 yards as a team, with Baylor, who entered averaging 112.8 yards per game, leading the way with 152, which is pretty good because Utah had entered the game allowing only 128.3 on the ground. Hmm. Now, quarterback Chance Nolan was 14 for 19 for 208 yards and two touchdowns, with Trevon Badford catching six passes for 74 yards and a score. He also had two carries for 20 yards and a touchdown. Now, Utah led in time of possession, but missed a field goal and was stopped twice on fourth down from the two-yard line. Running back Tavian Thomas. That was beautiful. It was. Tavian Thomas led the Utah rushing track with 74 yards on 21 carries and two scores, while quarterback Cameron Rising added 73 yards and 10 attempts. Now, Rising completed 22 of 36 for 267 yards and two scores. Now, Utah recovered a fumble at the 19 in the final two minutes of the half, and Thomas finished off the short drive with a three-yard run for a 24-14 halftime lead. But the Beavs clawed back into it after the half, going 75 yards in 10 plays, with Nolan connecting with Bradford for an 11-yard score to make it 24-21. Then, Oregon State took its first lead, 28-24, thanks to the blocked punt and 27-yard return by Musgrave. So, Beach, it was an excellent game. You know, it was a little stressful. Very. I'm still a little, I'm still a little hoarse. Yeah, me too. But, but uh, no, fan. But Fantastic the atmosphere game. was electric. Yep. The fans were into it and screaming. And it was, it was just a great, fun game to watch. Yeah, um, I would agree. Uh, you know, uh, I thought the, the blocked punt was awesome. I heard afterwards that uh, Jake Cook, as the special teams coach, had seen something in film and thought that if they sent four guys right up the middle, they might have a chance of blocking one. So they weren't calling an all-out block on that punt. But they sent four guys right up the gut, and I, I actually watched a replay of it. And what happened was the guys who were in the middle of that formation – we're basically mm-hmm. just releasing, not throwing up a block, but going downfield to cover. And so he sent those guys right up. And Musgrave, I think, is 6'6". Six, six. And so those guys went right up the gut. They got through the three-man protection and got to that punt. So that that was intended as a play for them, not just a play that they were practicing, but a play because Utah had an, op- an op- because because the way an Because the way Utah was running their punt, Cookus looked at it and thought there could be a, a a way for the Beavs to get in there and get a hand on it. But huh. it wasn't an all-out punt block. It's not like they were rushing 11 guys to go after the punt. They just sent those four guys up the middle. Gotcha. And they got to it. 
beautifully so, done. Yeah, it was beautifully done. And I guess uh, Musgrave got the first hand in. Uh, Riley Sharp uh, got more of a hand on it. And then uh, Musgrave looked around. The ball took a perfect bounce. He scooped it up and ran right into the end zone. It was perfect because it was right after the Beavs had scored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, but, uh, you know, and I thought Nolan looked better. I didn't like his fumble, obviously. He can't yeah. be carrying the ball out there like that. I don't know if you've seen that on the replay, but he just had the ball in his hand, carrying it like a loaf of bread. No, and no, the guy he... just knocked it out, and it was about bad bounce because the ball bounced right up in that guy's hands. Yeah, I was, was a turnover. I was as soon sure. as I saw the replay, I'm like, "That's a turnover." Yeah, so it's their ball. So, um, it sucked that the Beavs lost Jaden Grant in the second half to the targeting foul. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's he should get kicked out for the way that rule's written, but I don't necessarily like how that rule's interpreted. Yeah. I don't think he went in there trying to go helmet to helmet, but when the other guy is dropping, it's kind of hard to stop. That, that's so, what that's what gets me. It seems like there's a big burden put on the tackler. It's and all not put on the responsibility tackler. on the on the ball runner. Yeah, it's all put on the tackler. Um, now, when their guy got kicked out, Devin Lloyd, who is their best defensive player, um, number zero, the guy's a stud. Mm-hmm. When he got kicked out, he should have been. That was targeting because he dropped his head and went in with the crown of his helmet. It's what we used to call mm-hmm. spearing. He speared. Is there, a, is there a rule against spearing anymore? Yes, there always has been because it's okay. dangerous. One, you can hurt the guy who's getting speared, but also mm-hmm. the guy doing it can hurt because the way the way shoulder pads and helmets are made, if you kind of bowl your shoulders up and, and, and keep your head up, it basically it doesn't fuse it but it makes the shoulder pads and the and the helmet lock together to support no the PS. neck so there's no there's no gap in there to to it's to help you keep from injuring your neck yeah. now if uh if you go in just completely with the top of your head head first that doesn't happen and that's when the neck can compress okay yeah and really injure a guy so but, uh, no, I thought the Bees played a great game. There was a lot of adversity early, obviously going down 14 points, seven minutes in. That, but but that, they battled back. Yeah, when we, were, when we were down those two scores right off the get-go, I, I'm like, this is still achievable, but this is going to be tough. You're digging yourself a hole. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, now, I figured if we, were to, if we went down one more score, I, I just considered it out of our grasp. Yeah. But, the, so. you know, it, people don't realize Oregon State's the highest-scoring team in the Pac-12 right now. Really? Yeah. They're the highest averaging team in the Pac-12. I'll be doggone. Yeah. So, and it's like I said, they're they're doing well. And that when that offense is firing like you saw last night, they can really get things going. And you know, it's funny cuz later I went back and was looking at different social media posts and just see people freaking out when the Beavs went down two scores. It just kills me. People don't understand. It's a process. And, you know, not every play is going to work. Mm. Not every play is meant to score a touchdown every play. Some things are there to set up other plays later in the game. You know, it was it was kind of like, what, I think it was, was it last year or two years ago, and I think we might have discussed it once on here, how they kept, I can't remember who we were playing, but they kept running a play that just seemed like a worthless play. 
and and I kept asking her, like, why are, why are they that, doing that? was that? like eight, eight years ago, Beach. It okay, was against Arizona, be, and they kept running a little wide receiver screen. Yeah. The Bees would run I, this little I, wide receiver bubble screen, and it would pick up two yards. Yeah. And, and you were like, like why, why are they keep doing that? And I looked at you, and I go, Beach, they're picking up two yards, which is okay. You'd, you'd have to average, you know, at least four. But I said, mm-hmm. they're setting them up for later. I go, what they're trying to do is you're getting those defensive backs used to that motion so that all of a sudden they start to see that same motion come and they jump the play. Because like, oh, here's the same thing coming. I'm going now because I want to get a break on the ball. And that's when the guy setting up the block releases and goes downfield and he's wide open. And they'd run it a number of times. And I said, this is what they're trying to do. Then they went to run it again later in the game when the bees needed to score. And I go, it's coming right here. And it went for yep, a touchdown. And it did. Yeah, it went for a touchdown. And, and yeah, like I said, I don't, think, I don't think people realize what a chess match football is. You know, um, I don't know if anybody caught uh, ESPN in the morning on game day, but they were interviewing uh, Thibodeau with Oregon. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently he plays chess. Yeah. And, uh, and it... it it does. I mean, he kind of, he kind of actually talked very well-spoken guy. I was surprised. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but he was talking about how it makes you think and, and the, uh, the challenge of it all. No, it's, and it's true. So, and, and yeah. you know, that's, that's why they run different formations. It's why they run different motions. It's why they shift because, you know, the defense is always trying to disguise what they want to do. Right. If they want to blitz, you don't mm-hmm. want to know that they're blitzing. You don't want to know where the blitz yep. is covering from. Sometimes you want to think the coverage is going to be one way when it's actually another. You know, and that's mm-hmm. why quarterbacks are making their pre-snap reads. They're trying to look at things and see, OK, what might be coming? What am I going to be looking at once the ball snapped? What are guys going to do? And like I said, I don't think people realize that. And. There's constantly got to be tweaking and, and, and seeing how the other guy reacts to what you're trying to do and what you're going to do to get them to react in a way that you want them to react. So, like I said, and last, you know, yesterday when the Beavs offense gets going, they can get the other team so out of balance, it's great. You know, you start running all those those receivers in motion, then they start worried, get worried about, you know, those uh, fly sweeps and reverses. Yeah. And they start, start. Oh crud! I got to start waiting. I got to. I can't let my outside get, get taken. So then they start cheating outside, and then you can run right off tackle because that guy that was there is worried about the guy going wide. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, like I said, the, the Beave offense when it started getting going in that second half was great. Um, I no, love when they bring just, in. We, we, yeah, it, we were just hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, well, and they bring Trey Lowe in, who's actually the third running back. They have B.J. Baylor. They have Deshaun. Fenwick, who's a little bit bigger, a little thicker, a little more power. And then they bring that Trey Lowe, who's a little smaller, but they like to throw the ball to him out of, out of the backfield. But they, mm-hmm. kept, they kept bringing him on third down and running him kind of on a on a, a little bit of a, 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 a sweet play. Well, then they started keeping him in because they were, they were trying to jump that. Well, then they would keep him in to block on pass plays. And then at one point, I said to Greg, who was sitting with us, Dude, they're going to flare low out right here because they're thinking he's going to stay in and block because that's what he's been doing the last couple times. They're going to flare it out to him and he's going to pick the first up the first down. And sure enough, they did. You know, and then on that long pass play to uh, um, Treshawn Harrison, 
they they were worried about Trey Lowe going out on that little flare route, that little dump off route in the flat, and the DB cheated up looking for that, and that's when Trayson Harrison just released down the field and was wide freaking open. <laughs> so, like I said, I, I just when that when that offense gets moving, it's great. So I yeah. thought I great game. Beavs won. Beavs are five and one, one game away from bowl eligibility. You need at least six wins to be bowl eligible, so it's right there in their grasp this week. And um, everything I think they've set out earlier in the season is still on the table. Absolutely. Now, hey, Billy, we also uh, there was also the uh, the Oregon State uh, before the game dropped off, laid out uh, twenty two roses. That is correct. The, uh, do you want you want to tell them? Well, yeah. So um, a couple weeks ago, uh, number twenty-two for Utah, Aaron Lowe, the D back, the defensive back, Aaron Lowe, was was killed in a shooting, I believe, at a house party. Yeah, on on the uh, September twenty-sixth. Yeah, and so when the when uh, Utah came out onto the field to take their pregame warmups. Oregon State laid 22 or laid roses on the 22 yard line to help honor Aaron Lowe. Mm-hmm. And it's just, just a classy move. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so sad. They yeah. say still just, yeah. Yep. Anyway, just sad and a waste. Yeah. But it's good to see that certain things. Certain uh, things are bigger than the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I so, think I wish I wish some of Oregon State's fans would like that. Uh, but... Yeah, exactly. I, I would. I do too. Um, that said, you had a little bit of an interesting time getting into the game on Saturday. I did. <laughs> so, um, if people haven't. If the people that don't deal with this, all the tickets now are electronic. You have to get them through the app. You don't get actual physical tickets. You get them through the app. And then to send them out, you're supposed to do it through Google Pay or Apple Pay, which for some people is kind of a pain in the butt. So the first yeah, couple of games... I, 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 don't, I don't have Google or Apple or Samsung Pay on you, my phone. And you don't want to use it. And I really it. don't care to have it. Exactly. No, not really a thing. Um, and mom and dad don't really want to use it. So hmm. anyways, so what I had been doing for the first four, three games was I downloaded all the tickets to my phone and then I would just screenshot them and text them to everybody whose tickets were so they could scan them. Mm-hmm. So this week, or last week, I went went to download the tickets, got it, went to screenshot it. It wouldn't let me. It said, for security purpose, you can't take the screenshot, which kind of pissed me off. Because how else, if you only have one person, how are you supposed to transfer those things unless they have yeah, those pay plans? Exactly. But, so, yeah, and that's just insane. So it, what I would, it shouldn't be that complicated to get a freaking ticket. Exactly. So what I started doing was I just took pictures of each of those codes and text them to people. Or you took the picture of the code that I had on my phone. Yeah. Give so me, you took, took a picture one of, his. Of, of the phone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of the screen. Well, and why can't they just email you out electronic versions of the normal tickets just in an email format? Why does it have to be so complicated? I don't know. 
I mean, it, they, they took what should be a very simple process and they made it freaking complicated. Well, anyway. And, and part of the problem, too, is you got to remember your season ticket and donor base are all 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds. Yeah, absolutely. And they're not going to want to deal with this crap. No, but they anyways, just want to go to a football game exactly. like, like their dad did before them like they've and done grandpa for decades. did before them. Exactly. Yeah. So we got up there to the gate and your and Gibby's tickets wouldn't scan. Yeah. And so we, we handed up to this dipshit to, to scan and, uh, and he can't get him to scan. And he's, he, 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 he says, well, I can't get to scan. And I'm like, it's a freaking ticket, you know? He's like, well, you're going to need to go talk to the ticket booth. Go And he wants me – I've just been waiting in line for freaking 25 minutes to get through the freaking commie gate. And then the bastard wants me to go outside and go talk to somebody about getting a ticket, which is right on my goddamn phone. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if so you know anyway. what – because that guy had the handheld thing. Uh, just to the mm-hmm. left – or just to his right, you know, on our left side, there was a scanner that was just well, one of the scanner-like kind of little kiosk things. And Gibby yeah. took his phone, went over there, and it scanned. It went green. He goes, well, I'm going in. Well, I, and I tried mine. Yeah. And it went on, and on he's the like, other one, and it, and it did take. Yeah, and he's like, you got to go do this. And then I saw you yelling at him, and I was like, hold on. And then and then you called him a dipshit because you took off. You're like, I'm going yeah. in, and you called him a dipshit. And you, he was like, friends to kick me out he's of like, hey, I can get game. you kicked out of here. And I was like, hey, I've got all the tickets right here. And so I Yo, just pulled, you know, you were saying, Hey, I got all the tickets right here. Yeah, I was I was pretty pissed. I'm like, I got all the tickets right here. Just scan mine. And so I just started going through them and scan. He goes, he goes, uh, he said, You need to tell him to calm down, not call me a dipshit. He goes, I can get him kicked out of here. And I go, just scan the tickets. And then he said something else, and and I go, Yep, you know what? You're a big man, you got all the power. And he said something to me, and I said something else pretty Oh, you know what? We and he said he said something about, well, you know, something else. I go, you know what? You've got all the power, and we grovel at your presence. And he kind of looked at me, and I was like, just scan the ticket, you dipshit. Let me in the gate. <laughs> just stupid. Oh, God. It shouldn't be this I, I much just... of a pain in the ass. No, it shouldn't be as complicated as they make it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you give it to a bunch of educated idiots, and this is what you get. Well, and that's the thing. So. That's the thing. But, you know, uh, that you ever you ever heard the story of the, the U.S. government spent millions upon millions of dollars to figure out in the first space program how to get a pen to uh, write in zero gravity? Yeah, because they're worried about the and the Russians. Line. Yeah. And the Russians just sent up a pencil. Yeah. So who the hell was smarter? Uh-huh. You know, well, we designed a pen to write, write in zero gravity. Yeah. Why didn't you just bring a pencil? Exactly. And a sharpener. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. Freaking A. Yeah. Anyways, um, but the tailgater was great. Pretty good turnout. Yeah, I thought the food turned out really good. The steak was a the freaking tri-tip was amazing. Yep, tri-tip was good. Potatoes I, I, I were great. You know, I always tell you I, I need my A1 for my steak, and honestly, that steak didn't need any A1. It's pretty good. Oh, it was it was good on its own. Yep. You know, Billy, one thing that we haven't talked about this whole entire season at the tailgater yeah. is how the is how the porta potties smell. <laughs> this is true. So because it's it's not as it's not as aromic as it was at the beginning of the season. No. But at the beginning of the season, 
those sons of bitches smelled like vanilla. Yeah, they smelled really good. We walked in there and I'm like, these things smell good. Like, what the hell's going on? And it's still got a little bit of it, but it doesn't stink at all. No, but no. I also know I also know they service them every Friday before the game. They, they do because I when I used it on uh, Saturday, were you breaking noticed, the seal? Yeah, yeah, I was. I was breaking the seal. There's nothing. There's nothing in there but the the lovely. I don't know if it's green or blue. Uh, the blue stuff. Blue yeah. fluid. No, yeah. uh, the truck pulls in to uh, service those things when Greg and I are usually there setting up the tent. Oh, nice. So I know they're getting so. serviced. But, uh, All right, yeah. but yeah, great tailgater, good time. Um, right, yeah, stayed we're, pretty we're, much dry for the whole time. Yeah, just a little bit of rain on the early on before most people got there. Yeah, of course we were all there. Yeah, we were there. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. Anyways, great, great weekend. Great weekend to be a beef. Great, great mm-hmm. tailgating in Corvallis. So, all right, Beach. Let's move on to the Pac-12 in the polls. The polls came out on Sunday morning. Okay. Still not a lot of Pac-12 teams represented. In the AP poll, Oregon moved up three spots to number seven. How do they move up three spots to number seven when they barely freaking won? Um, Is it because the other teams lost? Well, one team fell, and they jumped a couple other teams. Okay. So um, Oklahoma State lost and fell seven spots. And then they they jumped a couple other teams. So everyone moved up a little bit, right? Everyone moved up a spot, but but some other teams jumped teams in front of them. Um, So you've got Oregon at number seven. Um, Oregon State got seven votes to would would place at number thirty-one. ASU also got seven votes, and UCLA got a vote. So they are in the others receiving votes category, those three. In the USA Today coaches poll, Oregon came in at number eight, moving up two spots. And then in the others receiving votes category, Arizona State got 27 votes for good enough for number 30. Oregon State got 13 mm-hmm. votes, good enough for number 32. And that's it. But like I said, mm. rankings don't matter where I want to see the beefs. So. Nope, not at all. Yep. All right, Beach. It is now time to move on to this week's Tommy Tuberville. What's he think I look like? A jackass? You sure do. <laughs> jackass of the Week Award. Every week we like to discuss a person in college football who exemplifies the truly worst in sportsmanship, leadership, or just being a fan. And this week, Beach, it's just going to go to game officials. Okay. Bunch of officials. Which officials? Well, well, the ones at our game because they sucked ass. Well, I was going to say the ones at our game weren't the greatest. Um, one thing they missed in our game, which I saw, was actually illegal participation that should have been called on Utah. Because they had 12 men in the huddle. They realized it. One guy came and run, started running out towards the sideline. They broke the huddle half a count after he left got on the ball and ran a play. That should be a penalty. You can't have 12 men in the huddle. How did they miss How did they miss I that? don't understand how they missed it because I'm watching it. I see the I see the one guy start to run out just as the huddle breaks and he's on a dead sprint and I'm thinking is he trying to run to the sideline and, and act like he's 
not in the play, but beyond the, you know, but beyond the field of play or something. What the hell's going on here? Then I see him run off the field, and I'm like, that's a penalty. Yeah, you were screaming. Yo, it was pissing me off because that's not something that I would, I would normally catch, because I'm not looking at who they're shuttling in and shuttling out and that kind of pre-snap stuff. Once they're on the ball, I can, I, I'm paying attention to what's going on. But anyways, made me angry. Should have been called. Um, I don't know if you saw in the Iowa State game the cele- uh, celebration foul they called on the Iowa State receiver. I saw that, and I don't understand what they called that for celebration. He kind of slowed down over the end zone. Well, he kind of held he, up his well, hands a little bit, well, he's, but he's, not in any type of demeaning manner. Well, he, so he's he he run they run the pass play. The DB falls down. He catches it. He's on a breakaway the end zone by himself. He kind of uh-huh. did a half. If you look at it before he got into the end zone, it looked like he might try to kind of high step or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah. he didn't. He kind of got a little hitch in his stride, but didn't really do anything. You're like, oh, he kind of thought about something there, but he didn't. And then he got in yeah. the end zone and he kind of put his hands up, but not even like over his head, just kind of mm-hmm. like up. And he turned around and well, ran back to the thing and they flagged him and took the, took the, uh, took the score and, off the board because the thing how, is how, that had to be, how does that happen when it's after he scores? Well, the thing is they, the, the flag was 15 yards from the point of the foul. So they were saying he didn't score that it happened before he yeah. scored. So it had to be so when he did his little... it happened on the one-yard line or the two-yard yeah, line? Yeah, where he kind of did his little half-stutter step thing. But it was just a it, it was a crap call. But, I mean, I can understand if you're if you're doing the whole chop thing that they did a few years back or, like, the slash across your throat. Yeah. Or, or again, steering down and, and you know... But to, to, to freaking walk up... And, and, again, it wasn't... I don't know what the hell he was doing. But it he didn't do wasn't bad. Yeah, he didn't do anything. No, I mean, he held his hands up kind of awkwardly. I mean, if anything, I'd, I'd say maybe the guy has Tourette's. I, that's yeah. about as bad as it was. Yeah, but so the worst, but Iowa State still ended up winning the game. The worst officials for the weekend were actually in the Ivy League in the Harvard-Princeton game. Really? What happened there? Yep. Well, Beach, officials were wrong to wipe out what would have been a game-winning two-point play in overtime by Harvard after a replay review awarded Princeton a timeout, the Ivy League announced on Sunday. So Princeton went on to win 18-16 to in five overtimes. So uh, we all know that in in overtime now, the first overtime you start from the 25 going in, and then the other team gets a chance. If it's still tied after that, you started the 25 going in, but if you score a touchdown, you then have to go for two. If it's still tied after the second overtime, it's basically a two-point conversion. One play, each team gets a shot. Right? So okay, Beach until one until one team until scores one team the other scores team and the other team does not. Well, Beach after Jack Smith hit Kim Wimberly with a pass to convert the two-yard the two-point play. In the third overtime period, replay officials mm-hmm. ordered a review to see if Princeton coach Bob Suris called timeout before the snap. They ruled he did and replayed the down. Harvard scored again, but that play was called back because of an offensive penalty. On its third try, Harvard was stopped and the game went two more overtimes. 
The Ivy League said officials made a procedural error because a timeout can be awarded by on-field officials only before the ball is snapped. It is not a reviewable situation. So the fact that they didn't call it means it didn't occur. Exactly. You can't back, go back and go, oh, look, the guy was yelling, trying to call a timeout, but he didn't get the official's attention. Then it never occurred. It never occurred. And I don't know so, why the replay officials thought they could do that. So did they did they reverse the game outcome or no? Well, so. Or you can't. Harvard had scored and should have won. Mm-hmm. But they say, no, that play never should have happened because Princeton called a timeout. They replayed it. Harvard scored again. But there was an offensive penalty. Yeah, I followed it. Yes, so I... they replayed it again, and they didn't get it, and the overtimes went on. So it, it's just crap. I mean, I don't know how they don't know that rule, especially the replay officials. You should know yeah. what plays are reviewable and what are not. So the – so question for you. So the replay officials are still situated in San Francisco, right? Well, this is this was uh, the Ivy League, so I don't know how Ivy League okay. does their, their replays. Okay, Pac-12 is in San Francisco. Correct. When you see the when you see the referee go up to that little monitor, he's seeing the what they're looking it? at. He is looking at what the replay officials are looking at. So okay. he's in is, on that discussion. He, okay, he is talking to them. He's talking to them. Okay. Yep. I was I was curious because I'm like, going, these are being reviewed by somebody else. Why is he looking at it? Because he needs so to be on the discussion. Okay, so he's saying what they thought they saw. Well, because he needs to go out and be able to relay that relay that information to the coaches. Well, you know, and going back to the freaking game, when they called, uh, they they didn't call that uh, uh, illegal participation, but they did call our guys for wearing the same number. Yes. For the same jersey number. I'm like, so you can't count to 12, but you can look at the back of a jersey and, and see that quickly that there's two of the same numbers out there. Yeah. And, and you're going to call that penalty. Yeah. Well, and that is a penalty, too. Yeah, I understand. And, and that but was. If you're going to go after chicken crap like that, then the illegal participation sure as hell should have been yeah. called. Well, and the they're both, you know, procedural things, right? It's not anything in during the play. You know, it's both things they did um, with the, the with the having the, the illegal equipment. You had two guys with the same number. And the reason why that happened was um, Jaden Grant had been ejected for targeting. So they needed a guy to substitute for him. And then Alton Julian had been injured earlier. So they needed a guy to substitute for him. So the two guys they put out there both wore number eight or 28, I believe. Think think eight. And okay. so it was an oversight on the coach's part. That's not on the players. Mm-hmm. So, but it sucked because it uh, nullified a great punt block and great return. So mm-hmm. anyways, so yeah, that was disappointing as heck. It w- that would have actually made the game a hell of a lot less stressful. Yeah. So for officials making bonehead bonehead calls especially in the ivy league this week this week's jackass of the week award (laughs) is for you all right beads let's get moving here it's time to the for the musical interlude 
Okay. Sorry, this one's going long, isn't it? Yeah, we need to get Okay. Moving. All right. I'll try to speed this up a little bit. I have a long one, too. I'm sorry about this. Uh, <laughs> you don't hear that so, often. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, first of all, I want to, about this artist, I want to, I, so I was a huge fan of this, this guy back in the 80s. I think everyone was. And I think anybody who wants to get some information on him should watch a documentary that came out on prime called square one. I don't know if it's still on prime. Fantastic documentary on this, this uh, singer. The, the song is great. The music video was actually more impactful when it came out. So the, the music video for this song premiered on MTV, BET, VH1 and Fox, as well as the BBC's top of the pops in the UK on November 14th, 1991. It featured Macaulay Culkin, Tess Harper, Tyra Banks, and George Wendt. And the video was directed by John Landis. Um, and if you can't guess which song I'm already talking about, uh, this is Michael Jackson's Black or White. The first few minutes of the video feature an extended version of the song's intro. During this interlude, uh, it is very similar to 1984's We're Not Gonna Take It, uh, where it goes into the house and um, uh, you see an 11-year-old boy, played by Macaulay Culkin, dancing to rock music in his bedroom late at night. His bad-tempered dad, played by George Wendt uh, from Cheers fame, bursts into his son's room and yells at him to stop playing the music and go to sleep. After his father exits out and slams the door behind him, a Michael Jackson poster falls onto the ground and the glass frame breaks. So the boy retaliates by setting up a large speaker cabinet hooked up to an amplifier, with levels of loud, louder, and are you nuts, respectively, with the dial turned up all the way to are you nuts behind his father's reclining chair. Wearing leather gloves and sunglasses, strapping on an Eddie Van Halen signature model guitar and playing a power chord and telling his father to eat this. The sound then shatters and destroys the house windows and sends his father seated in a chair through the roof and halfway around the world where the uh, song actually begins. The boy's mother, Tess Harper, suggests that his father will be very upset when he gets back. The album version of the song features neither Calkins nor Wentz voices. They are replaced by voiceover artists performing a similar intro. The boy's father crashes in Africa, and Jackson starts singing black or white, surrounded by different cultures scene by scene. The video shows scenes in which African Zulu hunters begin dancing by using moves from Southern African dance, with Jackson following their moves and then moving his, and then, yeah, and then mirroring his as... Um, uh, then he goes to traditional tight dancers, uh, Plains Native Americans, uh, Sri Lankan Tamil Odissi dancers, and a group of Russians. Uh, the final scene of which is uh, contained in a snow globe, which two babies, one black, one white, are playing with, uh, 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 are playing with, who then appear to be sitting on planet Earth in space. It kind of gets a little weird there. Then Jackson walks out defiantly through visual collages of fire, declaring, I ain't scared of no sheets. I ain't scared of nobody, referring to KKK torch ceremonies, uh, before a mock-up rap scene where he's joined by Culkin um, and a bunch of other children, including his niece, where they uh, start rapping, saying, I'm not going to spend my life being a color. And then the final verse of the song is uh, largely with Michael Jackson on top of the uh, Statue of Liberty uh, by the, the uh, torch. And then when it backs off, you can see fam other famous world stru structures, including uh, the Sphinx, the Taj Mahal, uh, St. Basil's Cathedral, the Golden Gate Bridge, and the Eiffel Tower. Then at the end of the video, 
different people of different ethnicities and nationalities, including actor Glenn Chin and model Tyra Banks, dance as they morph into one another. Uh, this was actually kind of groundbreaking at the time because prior to this, the only time you've ever seen the morphing was really in the, the Terminator 2 movie uh, with the, uh, the T2 uh, character. And so here we go. Billy, put on the record. And here is Michael Jackson's Black or White.
What'd you think, Billy? It's pretty good. I like that song. You know, I, it's the, the video. It's kind of amazing that he got George Wendt and Tyra Banks and Bart Simpson and Macaulay I mean, Culkin all on it. Not, I mean, a little bit. But, I mean, he was huge. Who wouldn't well, have wanted to be in his video? No, and that was on the Dangerous album. So, I mean, he had Thriller, then Bad, and then Dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it is still the most watched video. So he released it across the globe in like 20 some odd countries. Over 500 million people watched the release of that thing. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. I had no idea. I mean, I remember watching the release of it. Uh, I didn't really think about it on it. I think it was just on TV at the time. And back then you didn't have a whole lot of choices of, you know, you might've had 20 stations, but you still, catered to the to the core ones and mm-hmm. i must have been watching fox mm-hmm. um i wonder if it was re- that's probably because it was released on fox uh as the domestic probably why they used uh, uh bart simpson yeah probably yeah so mm-hmm. because maybe i was watching mtv because i watched mtv back in those days too because mtv still played music videos back then i know back when it was music television all right beach yeah Let's move on to our week nine preview for the Pac-12. Okay. We have one, two, three, four, five, six games. Everybody's playing. Everybody's playing. We're only picking five. First up, let me pull up Kyle's email. There we go. First up, Washington State at Arizona State. Wazoo at Arizona State. I'm going with Arizona State. So am I. Kyle says, Coog's like a coach. I miss crazy leech statements. ASU. Okay. Next up, Colorado at Oregon. Oh, I am so rooting for Colorado, but I'm picking Oregon. Okay. Kyle says, have you guys seen the new Dune? I liked it. Ducks. Ducks win. I'm going to take Oregon. I have too. seen the new Dune. I have not. I'm not really a Dune fan. I mean, I'll probably see it eventually, but. Yeah, I, so I'm not a Dune fan either, but I found the movie enjoyable. That's good. And All there right. wasn't a whole hell of a lot else to see in the theaters. Yeah, true. All right, up next Arizona at USC. Ooh. That's like the turd versus the turd game this week. Um, Can Arizona win a game this year? They've been close. Uh, yeah, so am I, but I can't score. Um, let's go with uh, – I'm going to pick USC. I, too, am taking USC. Kyle says, I'm glad we don't have the team that is traveling to surely lose a game this year. USC. Yeah, I can remember okay. that. I can remember that. Uh, next up, UCLA at Utah. Hmm. That's a toughie. Is that going to be the game? That's probably the game of the week this week. Um, I'm going to take Utah. Mainly because I don't like bitch tits. I too am taking Utah. Kyle says, too cold for the Southern California kids, Utah. I think we are all completely straight down the board this week. Pretty much. Uh, last game that we will be picking, Washington at Stanford. Ooh, taking Stanford. Taking Stanford. Kyle says Huskies will be out coached. Stanford. 
I'm going to take Stanford just because it's at home mm-hmm. for them. All right, Beach, got our picks down. And then, of course, the last game, Oregon State at Cal. Kyle says, let's go, Beavs. I'll be going to the game in Boulder on the 6th of November. If any listeners want to meet up, let them know. So if anyone wants to meet up with well, Kyle and Cal. I, I don't know if you need to take that into plural that much there, Billy. Well, it's you if and me. Listen, if the listener. Yeah. Or, We've got more us. than one. We've got like six. <laughs> but anyways, um, Beach, what do you think about this week? Well, I I actually requested Saturday off of work. So I could leave Friday night to go down. What time's the game? Four o'clock. Four o'clock. And what is it about? Is it an eight hour drive, 10 hour drive? Nine, I think. Nine? Hmm. Yep. Wanna? Let's see what it is from my house. <laughs> Memorial Stadium. Berkeley. It is directions from my location. Nine hours and 47 minutes, 597 miles. So 10 hours. Yep, 10 hours. Hmm. Want to ponder it? There's part of me that wants to go, Beach, but I, I just don't think I can. Okay. I don't think I can. I want to be All back right. in time on Sunday for handout candy and stuff. And I, I, just, I, right, I like sleep. Okay. I like sleep. Okay. So. All right. I tried. Don't say you didn't ask. I have, yep. Yep. So. Okay. All righty. So, anyways, what do you how do you think the bees are going to do? Um, I think you know Cal's been kind of up and down this year. Uh, we definitely can't overlook them. I think uh, I'm, I'm hoping the bees win. I'm always I, I hate you know I'm not a person. That's, oh yeah, we're going to win for sure. I don't like that kind of crap. That pisses me off. Mm-hmm. Uh, both teams are going to try to win. I hope we play well. And um, if we have our offense sitting on. On, uh, again, all uh, eight cylinders. I and, think Colorado's uh, a good matchup for the Beavs on both sides of the ball. I mean, I think so, California is a good matchup yeah, for I, the Beavs on both sides of the ball. I, I think so, too. And so, and it's down there. Uh, it's it's not going to be a cakewalk. I, I hope we have a good game, and I hope we come out uh, on the, good, on the uh, winning side of it. Completely agree. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. So... Well, I think I think uh, the Beavs can get bowl eligible this week. Hope so. That'd be, be great. Create a great thing to see. Mm-hmm. All right, Beach. Uh, before we wrap it up, do you have any uh, dating uh, trials yeah, so, and travails so I, you want to lay on us this week? Yeah. So I need to finish my um, uh, the, the the date that I alluded to uh, at the last podcast about my salmon ravioli date. Okay, salmon ravioli. Yeah, so so again, my friend Janie who hooked me up with the last gal who was the um, who was the what church do you go to, girl? Yeah. 
Uh, so she had a friend who told her that Brian should take out this this gal, friend of hers, right? And so just because we have the opposite sexual organs doesn't mean we're compatible, right? Just because she's a female and has a pulse, not, not, not really the defining thing for saying, oh, Brian will like her, right? Unfortunately, Janny didn't know anything, so she just said, give this girl a call, right? Okay. Otherwise, I think if Janny known, she would have vetted her a lot better. So I'm not going to blame this on Janny. However, I did after the fact. I said, Janny, don't you ever do this shit again to me. So, um, so I talked to this gal on the phone, totally blind date, no picture, no nothing. Right. And we all have certain things that we like or look, you know, we find attractive. Right. Yeah. And everything is different for everybody. We all like different things, which is a wonderful thing. Right. Uh, you know, I sell trucks for a living. And one of the things my dad taught me when, when I started selling trucks was he said, Brian, there's an ass for every seat. You just got to find the right ass. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and the same is true for dating. There, there's an ass for every seat. You just got to find the right ass. And so this was not an ass that was going to fit in my seat. I mean, it was a big ass. Okay. Not my seat. So talked to her a couple times on the phone. Again, no idea what she looks like. She gives me her address. She's like probably five miles from my house. So we scheduled to do dinner. So I, I, Wanted something different, never been to this restaurant before, and I don't even know if it's still there in Beaverton, but it's called the Hall Street Bar and Grill. Okay, so I drive over to this gal's house, and, and it's in this little subdivision. I go driving in, and I see some people out on the sidewalk chatting, and there's a gal out there. Okay, she's probably about five feet tall, probably roughly about five feet wide. And she's got makeup on that is so thick, you'd have to have a jackhammer to take that crap off. Okay. Put on with a with a with a like oh, a like put on like spackle. It, it was god awful. It was god awful. Like I don't think there were real eyebrows there, right? They were just flat out painted on. Okay, and it was thick, and and she was big, and. This is not a girl. I mean, so like one of my things, and I tell people this honestly. So my thing is I have physical standards is the girl has to be shorter than me, which isn't very tough. I'm six foot three and the girl has to weigh less than me because I'm not going to be, if, if I ever do get a girl in bed with me, which, you know, be a cold day in hell. But when that day happens, I don't want to be rolling towards them. Right. Okay. Just one of my policies. We all have policies. You, you don't want life. them making the dent in the, in the mattress. Making the, the exactly making the dent. You'd be better better be making the dent. Exactly, exactly. I just I that's I yeah, I, I think that's you know, that's my thing. Other okay. people, they might be comfortable with that. Not me. I'm not I, I yeah. So anyway, she had a big girl, she's a short girl, she's an unattractive girl, at least in my standards. And I'm sure somebody finds her beautiful. I hope she found somebody. Oh, and maybe me. I I just this was such a letdown. Right. You know, sometimes I go on a blind date. And I'm kind of excited. You know, like, what am I going to get? You know, it's like that mystery Tootsie Pop, you know, we don't know what it's going to be or the dum dum, you know, with the question marks on it. And and no, this was not the dum dum I want. It was like black licorice flavored. Right. And so I drive up and I'm thinking, God, please don't let that be her. Please don't let that be her. And then she starts waving at me because I think I probably told her what I was driving. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. But I will tell you, I've never stood a girl up. And I don't think I've ever canceled on a girl, uh, a date, because I get stood up a lot. 
I get canceled on a lot and it pisses me off because it ruins my evening. For one thing, I, I was looking forward to it and I don't get to go. And second thing is I didn't have time to make other plans. So I don't do that to other people. It's rude and disrespectful. That being said, I really didn't want to pick this girl up, but I did. I stopped the truck. She hops in. I can feel the springs compress on the right-hand side of the truck. I don't think God. they ever recovered. Okay. All right. Said pleasantries. We drove over to the Hall Street Bar and Grill. We sit down. Sit table for two. Read the menu. There's this thing called salmon ravioli on the menu. The description on the menu made it sound really, really freaking good. Like I was excited for this meal. He serves it to me. I take one bite of this salmon ravioli. It was freaking rancid. Most disgusting freaking pasta dish I've ever had. I mean, how can you really make bad pasta? I don't think there is such a thing except for salmon ravioli. So you put salmon in it. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm, I'm sitting there and I mean, I stopped. I took like one bite and I'm like, I'm done. And she's sitting there eating away, chatting away. I'm just kind of being courteous and stuff, not really into this date at all. And uh, so finally, the, the waiter finally comes back and she's done with her meal. Mine's still pretty much untouched. And the waiter looks at me and goes, was your meal okay? I'm like, oh, no. I said, it was god-awful. It was rancid. And he's like, oh, um, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Do you want something else? I'm like, no, no. I said, I don't want to extend this out any longer. No. <laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs> but I, it was also my own fault. I picked the damn thing. I mean, maybe it was supposed to taste rancid. Whatever. So so he's like, well, can you get your dessert? So I think he might have called me a dessert. I have no idea. So we got desserts. And then she's like, then I'm like, okay, I, I think I'm ready to call it a night. I said, uh, do you um, – I said, I'll go ahead and take you back home. And she looks at me. She goes, well, I thought we could go out dancing. I'm like, yeah, I'm not much of a dancer. So I think I think I'm just better off taking you back home. So anyway, took her back home, said pleasantries, went home, yelled at Janny. And um, and that's how that date ended. But it wasn't as bad as my date that I had uh, at Benihana with a gal one time next week next week the benny hana date okay <laughs> why would you order salmon ravioli it sounded good no it doesn't it the, the description it's like it has this it has that. something about the description you know there's there was a lot of adjectives and and like reduction things you know and no you know, fusion there's like fusion no <laughs> That it doesn't terrible. sound good. I, well, you know, I had halibut cheeks one time, and they were pretty good. Yeah, but that's still halibut. <laughs> but taking salmon, salmon's a pretty strong fish mm -hmm. to put in pasta like that. No. Yeah, it was it was, it was god awful. I, I so. made that mistake one time where I had a salmon Caesar salad. Oh yeah. No, I'm never <laughs> doing that again. So see, we both learn. I love salmon. I love Caesar salad. They will never come together. No, not I. Ever since then, I'm more like a salmon has to be on its own. You know, it just stands alone, like a steak, right? It doesn't. You don't mix it with other things. You have your car. You have your veggies. You have your your uh, your your carb, and you have your salmon. 
but you don't mix the salmon with the carbs or the veggies. Yeah, no. Just yeah. So, anyway, Benny Hanna date's a weird one. Okay, well, we look forward to that next week. All righty. All right, BJ, anything else to add this week? Um, no, I'm, I'm stoked. Uh, uh, I might have to come over to your house at 4 o'clock on, on Saturday to watch the game. Okay. If you're okay with that. Um, if we're, yeah, we should be home. Okay. If not, I'll have to find a bar. Yeah. So. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to show number 168 of Illegal Participation. Remember to send a suggestion, comment, ask a question, heinertailgator gmail.com, at heinertailgator on Twitter, heinertailgator on Facebook. Remember to listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Leave a rating and review where you're at. Beach. Billy. It's been real, it's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. But Saturday was real fun. It's been long. Yes, it has. So until next week, hopefully we're celebrating bowl eligibility and a great big Go Beeves. Hey, Billy. Hold on. It's not there yet. <laughs> i got to edit that out. I'm looking up damn change. Washington quarterback Dylan Morris threw two second-half touchdown passes after 300-pound defensive lineman Thule. I'm going to start over. Who? Uh, who uh... Hold on a second. I, let me take a drink here. Hold on, I gotta take a drink. I'll okay. go through and listen to it and see if there's anything I can pull out. Okay, because the other thing I could say is, you know, this artist I saw at Knott's Berry Farm in 1985. Yeah. When they wouldn't let us go on the uh, the, lo- the, the, mine the mine train. We saw his head. Because him and his entourage got to ride it. Yeah, we saw his head. Exactly. So. You want me to do that one instead? No, it's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like beer. <laughs>